Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Runner Time. I'm Richard Lutz, and it is my goal to connect you with the people that inspire me so that you can go out and live a creative life and make work that matters. On this week's episode, we are connecting with a friend of mine, Ryan Dowling. Ryan is a senior art director at VML in Kansas City, Missouri, and he was previously a art director at Crispin Porter Brugowski. Ryan's been involved in a ton of very cool work for Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, Jello, Hotels.com, Aspen Dental, and it was really exciting to hear his thoughts and opinions on the current state of advertising and where it is headed. It was great to get Ryan's perspective on where things are headed so that we can be on the cutting edge of creating work that ultimately matters. I also really enjoy getting Ryan's thoughts on the current state of what agencies are doing internally with their own commercial production capabilities. But with all that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Let's get into my conversation with Ryan Dowling of VML. Why don't you begin by introducing yourself? It's been a moment. It's been a long time. Yeah, I don't think I've talked to you in a while. But Four uh, years, I think, since we got out of Brand Center. Yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy to think it's Far been that Far too long. long. Very, very long. But uh, anyways, yeah, my name is Ryan, uh, Ryan Dowling. I'm an art director. I currently work right now at VML in Kansas City. Uh, I spent the last three or so years at Crispin Porter Bogusky in Boulder. And then before that, I was in school with you. You've been all over the place. You, it seems like you're uh, out there killing it right now. I'm trying. <laughs> I, I think we're all trying, but yeah, it's you know, I like Crispin. I was there. I mean, I was there for a long time, and I don't know. I think about it all the time, and I don't know why I was there so long. I don't know if I should have stayed longer. I, mean, I didn't. I unfortunately didn't get to make that decision, but you know, you think about like, should I have gone sooner? Should I have gone like a year ago, a year and a half ago? And it's just like I, you just can't sweat that stuff. So yeah, it was a good time. I love the place. I still like it. I still like the people there. But it was just time for me to move on and do something else. So that's that's sort of what I'm trying now. And you don't know, you know, you never know if you should go back or what you should do until you leave it. You know what they say, like, you don't know if you love it. If like, what is the saying? It's something about like, you know, if you love it, let it go. You know, and if it loves you, it'll come back. It was something like yeah. that. But, yeah. And it's funny because it's like, for those don't that don't know the ad industry and don't know what it means to be a professional creative. It doesn't matter what shop you're at, be it the mill or where I'm currently at, which is a finishing facility called Picturehead, or if yeah. you're at Crispin Porter or VML, it is intense. Like every yeah. like especially the reputation of Crispin, which is known to be a grinder. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't want to go there when they first, because I got went there as an intern and uh I remember telling the recruiter I didn't want to go there. And she was like, well, why? I was like, I've heard terrible things, and I talked to her about it. And then I just sort of decided, you know what? It's, the internship's only 10 weeks. It's not going to kill me. If I can handle it, then great. And if I get a job, awesome. If I don't like it, it's only 10 weeks. Like, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But they're definitely no joke. I mean, they're not as bad as they used to be in the glory days. There are some old dudes there that, you know, that I worked with that were around, like, in its heyday. And uh, they used to tell me some stories about it. And it was rough back then. Like the guys that were that were there in those days really earned their positions. Yeah, and I mean, there's other agencies that are like that. I mean, like I mean, Chiat is notorious for that. 
Yeah, it's funny when you think about it. Like, there's I think there's a there's very few places that are sort of labeled as, you know, a sweatshop or you know whatever you want to call it. But when you actually go to different places, not not everyone, but like every place is sort of is tough. You know what I mean? Like every place overworks people and doesn't pay them enough. You know what I mean? Every everyone does that. It's just there's a few places that are especially known for being terrible about it. So uh, you were at Crispin. I was. Now you're at VML. What what were you work? What were you? What were the pieces of business that you got to touch at Crispin, and what was your experience like? At Crispin, I came in at actually a pretty rough time. Um, I was an intern there at first. I started in February 2014, and we came in. We started almost a month exactly after they had just let go of six creative teams. So it was rough. Like they were definitely in like some downtime. They had lost a string of new business pitches. Like morale was low. I mean, it was just a bad time. Um, but it was fine because I'm like, well, it's horrible to hear about these people that lost your jobs. Cause I don't like anybody losing their job, but it just made such an opportunity for me and for, you know, all the other interns to just take advantage of. Like there were people there that didn't take advantage of it. And there were like a couple others of us that did and we all got hired and so we started there um and i honestly because there were so few teams i got really lucky and i was able to work on almost every single client they had so in the the four months i did an internship because we got a month extension i worked on almost everything they had and then i got hired and we were doing a ton of new business at that time and so I was able to work on the Infinity pitch, um, and we won that, and that was the first big like global pitch they'd won in, I think, a long time, maybe ever. I'm not totally sure. Um, so I worked on that pitch, which was awesome. I was able to work on the American Airlines pitch. We won that. Uh, my For some reason, my string of, of pitch wins there was insane. I think I worked on seven or eight new business pitches in a year and won seven of them. That's crazy. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. I don't know what the deal is. We just kept like doing really well, and and it was still like downtime a little bit, but we were doing well. And so I was lucky, and I got to work on a lot of stuff. And then, toward about halfway through my time there, I kind of shifted over mainly to um, Kraft Mac and Cheese. Um, I was on Aspen Dental. I was on MetLife actually for a long time until they left, but. I would say the bulk of my work there was like Kraft Mac and Cheese, Velveeta, and Aspen Dental. Did you uh, work with uh, Allison Bada on any of that stuff? No, she was unfortunately one of the people that was let go before I started. Oh, that's she's, a bummer. She's how I got the internship, though. I mean, she was awesome. So she got me in touch with the recruiter and got me on the phone and sort of got my name pulled to the top of the list so to speak and so I was, I, I was lucky that she was there and she helped me out and I even talked to her after she got let go she was super cool about it um, but I did not get to work with her unfortunately because that would have been fun where is she now is, I, I heard she's at like a is it Vayner Media is that where she's at now yeah I think so she so she came to Kansas City for a little while and then I think she just has been bitten by the Colorado bug so she keeps going back to Colorado um, and she's there now working at Vayner. I think they have like a 
satellite or an offshoot or something like that, and it's in Denver. I'm pretty sure it's in Denver. That's crazy because I knew, I heard rumors of a small Denver office for Vayner, and I mean, I've I've been paying attention to them recently, and it's been really cool just seeing the work that they've been involved with because it's just they're scrappy and they're kicking ass. Like they're yeah the ad they ran after the after uh, um, Game Seven of the World Series was. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Which one was that one? I, that was the uh, Harry Carey one for Budweiser. Oh God, yeah, amazing, uh, amazing. I remember watching that because I didn't pay. I mean, I'm not a big baseball guy, so I didn't pay attention. But I watched that game, and I remember that ad, and it was just like, holy shit, this is incredible. Probably one of the best ad by creative combos, as well as production combos that I've seen in a very, very um, long time because. They had, I mean, they had cameras. Like I talked with one of the producers of Aner, and she mm-hmm. said they, like, my mom got interviewed for that um, piece of, uh, or for that commercial, and it was just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had cameras on the ground in Chicago, and they must have been cutting at nights. Um, wow. I mean, it's just crazy because it's like post production can take weeks. They didn't have yeah. weeks; they had days. Yeah, yeah, literally hours. <laughs> That's nuts. No, that was such a good spot. And it was like the perfect time. It was so good. Yeah, like that like I saw that I was like, "Whoa." No. Nope. Yeah. If n- nobody was pay- if if people weren't paying attention to Vayner before that, they are now. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, say what you want about Gary Vaynerchuk and like what you think about him, but his agency's he's figured something out. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's going to last, you know. I don't know if it's going to take off and like be some new model or whatever it is, but for right now, like he's he's doing well and he's like on to something. He has the like there's a lot of opinions of Gary. Like I yeah. think a lot of the stuff he says is really smart, but I know that a lot of people take issue with his personality and how he works people. Yeah. Um I'm not I'm not commenting on that. Personally, I like uh, a lot of the things he says, but mm-hmm. in terms of the current space of advertising, I think he's spot on because yeah. we, I mean, I keep thinking about things like Facebook ad buys in relationship to their stock price yeah. and how um, we're no longer seeing the 30 second ad buys happen in frequency on traditional um, television. And mm-hmm. how it's shifting to a um, mobile-first platform or ad buy structure, and yep. the impacts that that has on advertising. Because as I mean, we were having these conversations four years ago. The ability to make oh, yeah. content and get it to an audience has never been easier. So it's interesting oh, no, to it's... think about the challenges that that creates, and then the um, opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a huge challenge. That's tough stuff. How? But ha- if you get it, if you get it right, you know it's you're gonna you're gonna hit a home run. How have you guys at VML been, and even Crispin? I mean, maybe you're not able to speak on this stuff at VML, which I totally understand due to NDAs. I've seen my fair share in my day, but um, <laughs> no, I'll tell you what I can. Oh, perfect. How have you guys been dealing with that? I mean, especially with just the amount of deliverables, because we are moving towards a social first world. So like. It's been a lot more apparent at VML than Crispin. Crispin is good about it. I mean, I I still think Crispin is the the king of social media, and social, I guess, 
is a better way to put it. Maybe not so much social media because they started it. You know, they did the subservient chicken and then they did stuff with mini that was incredible. Just these weird outdoor things, um, baby carrots, like gray Poupon. Like they've had so many amazing, amazing hits for social that I think that they've something like the DNA there, something in the wall, something in the water. I don't know what it is, but social just happens there and it's always good. VML is a different sort of beast because it started as basically like a digital vendor. They were a website. You know, they, they made websites. That's what they did. And they started getting business and then they would make websites and they'd slowly, slowly start chipping away at that business and get more and more and more of it until they finally started kind of exploding. About four or five years ago, they doubled in size. And then I think they've probably doubled in size since then. And they're just like getting pieces of business they'll go after pieces of it and win it and work on it and do really good work and win more of that business until eventually on some accounts they'll get the AOR account like the the account I work on mostly is Brisk and we're the AOR for Brisk which is kind of crazy because that shop in the early 90s was just making websites they're a regular old vendor and then now they're this massive worldwide agency that is AOR for tons and tons of stuff so they do social well because I think they've always had to. That's sort of been their bread and butter a little bit. But you definitely see challenges with um, just the number of deliverables. And it's not that it's – I don't know. It's not that you have to make 10 different things for 10 different platforms. It's That's one of the things that I, I kind of hate about this, this world of – not social, but it's just like making stuff for like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and TV and YouTube and God knows what else. It's just it's, it becomes too many pieces and, it, and too many people are just basically taking one piece of content, changing the size and using that across everything. Yeah, and I totally get that because like, I mean, it's so easy to just like take a spot and ship it as a one by one aspect ratio. So easy. Yeah. Or nine by yeah. 16 and just plan to have all the content hit every bucket appropriately. So what that means is like center framing all your shots. So you mm-hmm. can easily do that or, um, doing it in a way where you, the editors can move the shots. So they will fit for certain, um, platforms. Yep. So it's framed correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. That's, I think, the biggest thing for me is uh, because we're doing so much more social there. Like when I was at Christmas, I didn't – I did a lot of social media when I first started. And then we got a new CCO and he sort of had this idea that uh, he was going to make this thing called the post office, which is actually kind of cool. Uh, any junior that gets hired there that's a creative, you more often than not are going to start in the post office. And the post office is – just a group of creatives with a couple creative directors that only focus on social media. That's all they do mm-hmm. is social for all the brands. So it's a cool opportunity for juniors because, you know, you get in there, you can get your feet wet. You're not like, you're not competing with senior creatives and ACDs and CDs for these big, massive projects. You know, you have your own and your own thing. You're doing it yourself. And, uh, you know, the, the social media world is so different than like the traditional world that it's a little easier way for you to get kind of used to advertising, but they did that well. 
and it's it's worked out great. And now I'm having to do a lot more social media since I've gone to VML because they don't they don't have that program, and it's mm-hmm. fine because it's kind of fun, like doing these little weird little things and it's just you know small little projects and they're fun and you can do them quickly and get it out there and you get like immediate feedback you know whether it works or not and whether people like it so it's it's kind of fun i kind of like it it's funny because i talked with ali and and i know that you heard this but she was like talking about like how it was easier for her to convince her and her teams at agencies to convince them to do smaller stuff mm-hmm. on social where it's maybe a fifty thousand dollar budget, which is still that is still a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, then the big national TV buys. It was easier to make that that um, convincing argument because they didn't have to worry about uh, conversion rates and all these things that agency or not agencies, but clients really care about. They mm-hmm. care about all like is their ad going to perform? And they have every right to be concerned about those things because it's like they're putting down a shit ton of money on these things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I she's in a little different position than I am coming in from the outside. So, of course, she is absolutely right that like somebody coming in like, like her and, and her little shop can come in and say, hey, you know, I know you want to do a big TV thing, but give us, float us a little bit of money and we can make this super cool project for you online and, you know, X amount of people are going to see it. Like you can immediately give numbers to sort of back up your claims. And whereas TV is a little, it's a little more, you know, TV's hard to do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, people that that work in that, like media people and stuff, they get, they know, they know probably who's going to see it and about what viewership gets on shows and things like that. But then they don't know how many people are just recording that show and skipping past it, or yeah. like getting up to go to the bathroom or getting up to go get something to drink. You know what I mean? They, they don't know that. And I think that's the challenge of the business right now is it's like people are going to blast, like a lot of times just if they're not watching it over like Apple TV on like Hulu or Netflix or streaming service of that nature, mm-hmm. chances are they're not seeing the ads. And if, no, and if they not. if they record it with a desktop or a uh, DVR box, they're just going to blast through those commercials. And if they yep. somehow happen to lose the remote they're gonna, and can't find it, they're going to grab their phones. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. So it's hard right now because it's like the only place it seems like where advertising has a, a place in terms of making a mark is live sports. Yep. Yeah, and, absolutely. And what's funny about live sports is my dad will find what – like I'll just use my dad as an example – He'll wait an hour and a half later so he can just blitz through the ads and just catch up. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then it's That's like dedicated. Oh, first half he won't watch one ad. He'll just like watch the game. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's impressive. So it's like I can't even talk about the game until like later. I'm like, fine. Yeah. It's like, okay, dad, just hurry up and watch the game tonight and we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> it sucks so much because it's like I'll go to like a kook bar in Burbank and it's like I'll be just like ranting the entire time especially in the early parts of last season but it's just no that's just yeah. consumer behavior right now it's like people fucking hate what we, advertising is unless it's something they legitimately care about so I think the challenge right now is how can we be more creative and innovative in terms of the stories that we're telling on behalf of our clients See, I don't know if people hate uh, advertising. I think people hate being sold to. 
Yeah, I think that's a better way of putting it. And I like because I hate that. I mean, everybody hates that. Everyone hates that person that knocks on your door trying to get you to to do this or buy a magazine. You know, hate that stuff. But people love interesting stories and content. So it's it's a tough. There's that's what I think is the the tough thing is how do you tell a very interesting story and sort of get whatever your product or brand or whatever you're trying to like push in there that feels relevant and um, fun or exciting or sad or whatever you want to do just something that people can relate to that's that's the tough part because uh, everybody can sell stuff we can make commercials all day that just sell products that's what they used to do back in the day. Um, and I think that's what people hate is because they think all advertising is, is you know, I guess they're kind of right. It's just at the end of the day, it's selling shit. But I think the opportunity there is to have a higher standard of what a brand stands for. A hundred percent. I mean, it's at the end of the day, we're trying, it's not just about selling, I don't know, Amazon Echo Dots. It's not just about selling that. It's about um, finding a way to use that piece of advertising, not just to sell Amazon Echo Docs. That's part of it, but ultimately strengthen the Amazon brand as a whole in terms of a more holistic approach to the advertising and marketing and branding of Amazon. Yeah. Like, does, like, I think a great example, even though, um, yeah, I think a great great example, even though I'm kind of getting tired of their um, pretentiousness, is Apple. For a mm-hmm. long, long time, they were the kings of marketing and, like, branding. Oh, yeah. I think some of their – but at the same time, I do think some of their behaviors are kind of getting annoying. But, you know, that's a <laughs> – Yeah. Oh, well, if you think about – if you think about Apple back uh, not even that long ago – probably less than 10 years ago when they were doing all those silhouette commercials for iTunes. Those were great. I remember those. Like, yeah. I mean, they made a big deal about that stuff. They would play those things during keynotes because people liked it and they wanted to see it. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I mean, even Steve jobs, uh, to the crazy ones. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's like one of the best ads ever. <laughs> but it's cool because it's not about this gizmo or gadget or whatever the fuck they're trying to sell. It's like this this way of thinking and like this. It's like this thing, and it's and it's cool because it's one of those things like everybody thinks of themselves that way, whether they are or not. You always think that, and they just like that was so perfect talking to just like normal people kind of building them up, not telling them what they want to hear, but just like painting this picture in your head and then being like, yeah, I'm that way. Like I do that. That's me. And and then it's like, well, I need to have, I'm going to go check this thing out. What are they talking about? You know, that's, then it leads to that. And then someone goes and does their research. Absolutely. And I think, uh, it's interesting to see, like, I think Apple's for a long time was in many ways, the gold standard of what a brand could stand for. I mean, them, Nike, I'm trying to think of other accounts out there that rose to that level. But those are the two, in my mind, that really meant something in terms of, like, not just being a brand, but having a position and perspective. I think a new one that is emerging is uh, Airbnb. 
Uh-huh. Especially yeah, with their pretty... their current Super Bowl ad was. Uh, I I like the position they had on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're getting there. I think. Uh, I think like Dollar Shave Club was there until they got bought out recently, or whenever that happened. Yeah. They, they were pretty good. They had a, a cool. They had a cool way of doing things, and now they're owned by some giant company with shareholders and you can just you can see like what happened to them yeah and the fact that that ad uh that they made a couple years ago was only made for five thousand (laughs) dollars yeah it's nuts that's crazy to me i mean no we're not we're not gonna finish this in flame are you crazy yeah like yeah there's no way that touched a flame bay at all and if they did it was because of a favor (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they didn't, money didn't exchange hands for that. No, no. I mean, <laughs> the ed, the person who probably cut it was probably also the director, and then they found a buddy that could color grade. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've done that. Like, I was working on some stuff. I kind of work on Tropicana a little bit now, and we were doing a shoot recently and uh, didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I say we didn't have a lot of money. We had a hundred grand, which is ridiculous to say that a hundred grand is not a lot of money. But we like were trying everything to find a director who could also do really, really good still photography. Those are hard. Yeah, it's tough. Like you would think that they're one and the same, and they are not at all. That's that's a really hard thing to ask for. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And we we found somebody like we found a good guy as a local dude, um, and I think he has somebody on his staff that was that did photography, so it worked out. But yeah, when we started doing that, it was tough. We found some really good people, but man, they were expensive. <laughs> I, I mean, there's two names off the top of my brain that I would have recommended immediately, and that's uh, Chase Jarvis. Mm-hmm. But even he might be, he, he could have been too expensive. And then uh, John Keatley. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I remember, I, I'll have to look those guys up. Chase is, has a company called Creative Live, which is an online um, platform for education which is pretty mm-hmm. cool but his roots are in photo video and John is a photographer but he also directs as well and he did uh, he did a music video for Fences featuring Macklemore oh cool so he definitely yeah he definitely has his chops but uh, that's awesome yeah it's uh, they've, they've done some really good work but a um, hundred grand you're right that's <laughs> it's amazing how little that how how little that really can be. That can be a whole lot or a, a whole little. Well, it depends on the length of the shoot because like a re- like depends on the camera package too. Like I'm trying to, I'm not as well. Oh, it's like it's it's how much how long is the shoot? Is it a day? Is it two days? You know, is it union, non-union? How many crew are going to be there? How many this and how many that? Yeah. You know? so much stuff comes into play it's insane yeah it's crazy because it's like i mean pa rate is 200 a day depending on number of those like let's just say it's four that's 800 dollars um and then like the more the higher up you move on things like if you want a good dp that's going to cost you like three grand a day depending on the shoot length then like yep. camera rental is probably 15 before the lens package, which is probably another grand or two. So we're already mm-hmm. at three on camera package. We haven't talked about grip and electric or insurance or director right. rates. And yeah. and then there's licensing of everything. 
Yeah, and then there's there's whole the whole union non union deal, and if they're union, if is there overtime? How oh, much God. overtime? Who's staying over? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, that's where it's, it's insane. You get you, you grab anybody union, it's like expect your budget to double or triple practically. Right, which like I'm not I'm not gonna hate on. Them. I get that. Like I'm one of those weird people that like I believe in unions, and I think unions are a good thing. I think the kind of SAG and that kind of stuff's got a little out of hand, but. I respect the fact that, especially in an industry of people who will just get work to death, that they have people saying, no, you're not going to do that. And if you want to do that, great, you're going to pay for it. Absolutely. And it's like, I mean, I've never really wanted to be a feature um, editor. I've always wanted to play in commercials and short film. Like if I could do music videos, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought to myself, like, oh, God, it'd be so cool to be uh, part of uh, MPEG, which is the Motion Picture Editors Guild. Yeah. Or, or even get ACE, which is um, you have to get voted in by your peers, uh, which is the American uh, Cinema Editors. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to get, like, one of those distinctions would be fantastic. But at the same time, it's like, I don't necessarily need that. It would. I'd like to have it, but I'd be I'm, – I'm much more concerned about just – finding the ability to just make awesome work yeah oh definitely that's all that matters that's all that matters in the end that's what's going to pay your bills yeah so going back to that like that um you said it was a tropicana shoot uh-huh. how have i'm i'm interested because it's like it seems and we we hinted at this a moment ago we've seen that agencies are having to do more with less We've seen the rise of social. We've seen, we've seen, uh, yeah, we've seen the rise of social. We've seen uh, agencies have to do more with less. How has that ultimately impacted the production end of the business? Because you can't go to LA every time to have uh, Anonymous do the production, um, the mill do the VFX, and spot welders to do the edit. I mean, it does. It just doesn't seem realistic that you can do that on small social content anymore. Oh, for just social, no way. No way. Unless you just have a monster social budget and that's really like that's all your if all your brand does is social, then maybe. But the reality is just just not gonna happen. And if it does, it's gonna be on favors. Like you're gonna be working on favors. But um I don't know, like I've thought about that a little bit, you know, like working with less and and there's more stuff to do. And I don't know what I think about that. Um, I feel like I don't think the the, the deliverables are a problem. Sorry. I don't think that deliverables are the problem. I feel like it's the, the overhead. It's just overhead. Like places are getting gigantic and huge and they're putting more and more and more and more people on teams you know that same briefs more people there's less you know less opportunity to make stuff so i think like i think having to do i think having leaner teams is a good thing and i've been on projects and groups where they started doing that and i think it is great like if you have a job it's great having lean teams where there's fewer people more dedicated to one thing i think is amazing and i love that and i don't think it's so much the amount of deliverables i just I don't know. I think you just have to find a way to do it. A lot of people are 
getting scrappy and big agencies are getting that way because they have these smaller, more dedicated teams that are kind of willing to do what it's going to take to make stuff. Mm-hmm. And like even we have um, cameras and good cameras and good lenses and stuff and we can go out and shoot dumb little things ourselves little pictures like you don't need to hire a photographer an assistant and rent a studio and hire catering and all this crap to go take a couple pictures like you just don't need to do that you just got to kind of get scrappy and like take it into your own hands and do it so like we've done that i've done that at crispin vml does that a little bit um i think that's just what you have to do but you're losing craft services, the best part of every working set. <laughs> oh, it, that is 100% true. <laughs> that is like the the first shoot I ever went on. I could not believe that. I was just like, you mean I can go over there and get anything and just take it? And like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And so I went and took like four packs of gum and like all this <laughs> stuff. Like, it just blew my mind. It- I was working a shoot, uh, my last big commercial shoot I worked on Seattle in Seattle before I made the leap to LA was uh, with Bandito Brothers, yep, who, uh, they went under, unfortunately. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they were in the same complex as the mill, and I drove in one day, I was like, where'd they go? It was a VR company the next day, I was like, what? <laughs> um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting, I was like, I did not see that coming, but... Um, I remember working this shoot, and day one of the production for Kia was breakfast burritos. Uh-huh. I was stoked. Yeah. Oh, God. Dude, my first TV shoot was on – I was actually shooting uh, at Universal Studio in a soundstage. Oh, and good God. That would be a good day of work. It, it was amazing. They had that big-ass food truck that had breakfast and lunch and everything. It was amazing. Just amazing. They do a really good job. I mean – Oh yeah. Respect to I had craft steak services for lunch, and it was incredible. Incredible. So let's go back a sec. We we went off on a awesome <laughs> sidetrack on craft services yeah. and don't fuck <laughs> yeah. up craft services. It's like that's one that's one of the key areas. It's like, yeah, don't fuck that one up. But yeah, exactly. um anyways, it's like you, you were mentioning earlier that it's like you have cameras and you have lenses to go out and do these things. Are do you, from your experience working at both Crispin and now VML and talking with other people who are who have come from other agencies mm-hmm. have have you started seeing a rise in the internal production capabilities of agencies because there's no way in hell that an agency can go to like spot welders or these shops all the time oh yeah I mean Crispin has a huge internal I mean I shouldn't say huge well they have but plus. It's a, right yeah plus it's it's amazing they're uh they don't do a lot of shooting we don't do a lot of that they do a little bit but they don't like at least maybe they may have now but when i was there they didn't really like they'd always bring in a freelancer who it was a guy that used to work at crispin who's amazing um and they would bring him in if they needed to shoot stuff but they do a lot of editing a lot of like kind of posts they'll do some color correction like one of their editors was he would do color correction and stuff like that um so i think places are doing it vml has a whole full service thing also called the vault and i haven't worked with them a lot but uh they do the same amount of stuff so i definitely think most places do have some kind of internal thing and and if there are places that don't have it i'm sure it'll come soon if they can figure out how to make it work um but the, I don't know. It's it's weird. The one thing I've noticed though is they just they have them, but they're not using like, them. They're not using them a lot, 
or if they are, the internal places can only do pieces or parts of it, so you still have to go find something else. So it's like if you can edit internally, you still have to go to somewhere like the mill or method or wherever and and do post. And so it's just like I don't know if that is saving money yet, you know, if it's really helping that much yet other than keeping things local and especially just money wise like I know plus was they were expensive and it's like but they're down the hall like I can go talk to the guy right now yeah (laughs) and they're just as expensive as going to anywhere else see like the thing that about that is like that sounds counterintuitive because it's like I mean everything I've cut everything has been pretty simple to put together. I mean, I'm working on this thing. Somebody's went to Sri Lanka and they gave me like five hours of footage, which I'm like, "Fuck, okay," because <laughs> yeah. that's it's a lot of footage that I have to set up. But um, every like, I it's hard for me to to wrap my head around that because it's like I know to a certain degree that there is the ability to make work that is scrappy. I mean, agencies always talk about wanting to be scrappy. But it's just, at some point, it it seems like we have to balance the ability of wanting to be scrappy and the integrity of a production. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's the tough part is there's like, I think there's another side of it too that, and like, I don't don't agree with this, but I think a lot of people see these in-house places as less talented than like their counterparts in LA or wherever they're at, even places local. Like, so I think you have people who are looking at an internal group who they may think are incredible and great and wonderful. But I've also heard people say, yeah, no, the people that they're just not that great. We need to go here. And you know, it's just as expensive, sometimes more expensive. Like I've been on jobs where the internal place literally in the same building is more expensive than a person who's local who is incredible and that yeah. they've worked with a million times. So it's, I think there is something to be scrappy and I feel like, I feel like scrappy means favors right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's working on favors. It's helping each other out. It's like, Hey, just do this for me now. And the next time we get something huge, it's yours kind of deal. So I feel like there's going to be, and there has to be a time when these internal places really just, you know, want to like they just want to get in there get their hands dirty like you're part of the agency even if you're a totally separate company like plus is crispin you know and 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 they do a lot i I, like plus is great and they've done a lot of stuff and i've worked on a lot of stuff with them but i think just in general speaking you know in general i just feel like they're gonna have to get i don't know a little better it's like that that kind of stuff you want to be scrappy I feel like you just kind of sometimes have to kind of take the bullet or like bite a little bit of it to make something happen. And until that's going to happen, it's just never going to change. I I totally know what you're saying because I was talking with a dude at the mill and he was an executive producer. Um, the great thing that I loved about working at the mill was the majority of the EPs that were there were super approachable about things. And I could talk mm-hmm. with them about things and they – what was interesting about talking to uh, this particular EP is he was talking about the notion that basically the agencies go to these production companies because they're capable of 
Uh, I have a dog barking outside my apartment. <laughs> That's all good. I'm rambling anyway. Yeah, so no, fun. it's fine. Uh, the reason why agencies go to these large production shops, be it post, um, or be it production post or VFX or finishing, whatever that thing might be, yeah. the reason why they go to these shops is because what they do is they're really good at managing the costs and expectations that the clients might have. Be that... Oh, yeah. Um, an agency's clients or the agency themselves. What the production companies do best is managing the creative expectation and managing the budget in terms of the expectation there, regardless of where you're at in the production. I think that is the hardest thing because it is so easy. It is so, so easy to blow past your budget and just start spending money. Oh, God, yeah. It takes a really, really disciplined uh, UPM and line producer and production coordinator to keep the ship on track and then a, a really, really good first AD to manage the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like a really good producer. Yeah. No, that stuff is <clears throat> those kind of people that do that kind of stuff are, man, they're unsung heroes. They so really are sure. because it's like, they're not, it's like the art directors and the writers and the CDs editors directors the creative people involved in the production they get all the glory like oh this ad was great yeah it was great because the trains showed up and left on time (laughs) exactly exactly it's because so-and-so was there making sure that this shit was happening i have this uh great story i was working this bentley job and uh was one of my last jobs up in washington they flew our dp into the wrong country Oh, good God. <laughs> they flew him into Vancouver. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. They fucked up uh, Jean Renault's uh, hotel room. They blew $40,000 on wardrobe. Uh, uh, they couldn't get our production coordinator on a flight from L.A. along with our lenses, which were the new Cook Anamorphic digital sets, which is which are worth a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> we All the PAs didn't. At one point, none of the PAs were on walkies. Wow. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? We ha- we didn't have a lock-off on a public beach as a helicopter was uh, powering up and taking off. Oh, wow, that's lovely. Jeez. Which goes back to my point of, like, having a great producer is essential for a shoot to go well because it's like they are the people that are... Making... 100%. It's... Well, that's the crazy thing, too, is not only... And like, not only will producers make sure that just things happen correctly when they're supposed to, where they're supposed to, stuff like that, but a producer will also like do they the cost stuff. They'll figure all that out. They're dealing with budgets, and 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 I know for a fact that I've worked on things where we've gotten so much more than what our budget paid for, and it's just because these producers are incredible and they know each other and they know everyone. And they're just amazing. And I think maybe that's what some of the internal places are lacking, just really, really good producers and people that can sort of be that in-between. So it seems like from your perspective that the shift that needs to happen, I mean, I think the place to – I think we can look to certain agencies that are doing it right. Um I think what Vayner has been doing has been super interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, 
to clarify though, I should say this, I should have said this earlier. <laughs> I, I think there's things that agencies are doing wrong. I think there's things that agencies are doing right, but I think there's an opportunity to learn from a lot of these shops. I think VaynerMedia is definitely one of those shops that is, they're doing some very, very interesting social work right now. Mm-hmm. A shop that is kind of, uh, was better a few years ago was that was doing a lot of really good work was, uh, Digital Kitchen. Yep. I mean, they were on point for a while in terms of their ability to not just make the work, but come up with some okay-ish ideas. I still love them, but it's, I don't think their concepts were nearly as good as like places like Wyden. Oh, of course. Well, nobody's as good as Wyden, unfortunately. That's yeah, Wyden and Kennedy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they ha- they definitely have some something going on there. I don't know what it is, but I. I've been trying to figure it out for years. It's Portland, man. They got Portland. Yeah. It's where hipsters uh, go to retire. <laughs> Something, yeah. I don't. They figured it out, man. There, that place. I mean, everybody. I, I don't want to talk too much about them, but everybody loves them, and they've just they've figured it out. I don't know. I mean, they have definitely have their problems. Like, I'm sure you ask the people that work on Coke or Nike, and they probably bitch and complain just as much as any of the rest of us do, but. You know, as much as they complain and gripe, they're still at an incredible, incredible place, and they have incredible opportunities. I should reach out to the branded Vineyard people in our class. Oh, yeah. Dude, that guy is amazing. I've talked to him a little bit. Not a ton. I didn't know him very well, but I've reached out to him, and he's just such a good dude. So nice. I, I'd hit him up. I should. It's funny because it's like they shot a Powerade commercial in Spanaway, which is like an hour and a half south of where I was living in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, for Powerade, that would have been that would have been so oh, awesome. Oh my god, I I would have PA'd on it, but it's like if I ever got it's it would have been cool because it, I mean being a PA is not glam. I mean it's great because it gets you working on a real set and starting to learn those things. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it would have been cool to like be on the other side and working on like especially that shoot. I know was shot on film. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, if you want to yeah. talk about, like, increase the cost on a budget, do that. <laughs> I don't even want to Shoot know. film. Like, <laughs> I don't even want to know. Because, like, oh, God, it just adds more to the camera department because you have to have a film loader, and then you have to get it all processed and with lab fees. Oh, and then man. the DI cost goes up. Yeah, no thanks. I'll just stick with my – I'll just stick with hard drives from now on. Reds in, uh, in, in a Lexus? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or I mean, I, honestly, I don't care. I don't know. Like when I, I I put I remember a long time ago I put a picture of a monitor on. Yeah, I just saw that yesterday. Yeah, and you like immediately knew right away, and I'm like, I'm literally standing next to this camera, and I don't know what it is. To be honest, though, it's like I might have that might have been an Alexa monitor. I, I think it was a red, but it's like I was yeah. just looking at it. I was like, that's what I get for. I might have been an Alexa monitor, but. <laughs> Um, I don't know. All I know is they pulled that camera over by me. There was about six guys. It was in between takes, and there was about six dudes doing God knows what to that camera, pulling little pieces of tape here, labeling this, changing oh, yeah. that. Like, it was unbelievable. On, to a, see on a big shoot, it takes – well, let me think. On a big shoot, it takes three people to operate a camera. You got your focus puller. You got your camera operator. You got your um, – your second um, AC, which typically runs Slate and camera reports. Mm-hmm. So that's 
three people there, and if if it's a big suit, like they'll have yeah. It's, I mean, these jobs, it's just crazy the amount of people that are needed just to make these things come to life. Not to mention like Grip and Electric, which report to the DP, who technically fall under the camera um, department. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, it's all about the camera in many ways. Unfortunately, that's not how it should be. It should be yeah. about the creative, but the camera is what captures the creative. Oh, for sure. And the better you can run that thing, the better it's going to look. It's all They all lead into each other. It's like that, that old graphic of like the snake eating its own tail. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Shit just got morbid, y'all. I know. <laughs> We're getting serious here. Yeah, we, we are. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested in just like these pressures and like the impacts that it's putting on agencies because it's, it's we're agencies are having to do more with less in oh, for every sure. shape and form. And I think it's tough, and I think it's probably, it's probably exaggerated a little bit because I think agencies, especially the big ones, are you know they're slow to adapt, they're slow to do this, and and I think that's part of it. I feel like once some of the growing pains and they, and it's, it's horrible to say that, but some of these growing pains may last years because like if you're a big agency with thousands of employees making moves, you know, you just have to go gradual and slow. And so I think soon enough, I'm sure once some of these things have been figured out and especially with brands and clients kind of get that stuff figured out, I think it'll get better and it'll get easier. But for now it's, it's kind of cool. It's like the wild west. Like I feel it for me personally, it still feels like, Social and online, everything still kind of feels like the Wild West. Like you can get away with more there because, like, traditional is king and that's like the old grandpa and it's, you know, it has a certain way of doing things. But, you know, online, you can kind of do whatever you want. That's like the younger man's game. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, and I think, like, what's been interesting is it's just like recently I've been paying a lot more attention to YouTube in terms oh, God. of. Oh, um, God. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you've been in a couple of meetings where you've heard the word social media influencer. Oh Jesus! Yeah, don't yeah, I know all? Yeah, I know all about it. You want to throw <laughs> up right now? I can. I can. No, I I totally get it. It's just like, it's just crazy to me that it's like we're at a point where it's like, some yeah. like kid in Nebraska has more reach than Wyden and Kennedy. Oh, absolutely! I'm a YouTube addict. An addict, like in every sense of the word. I don't know how I got started on it. I don't even remember when I really started watching it, but I've been watching it forever. And there are people on there, people like the Casey Neistats of the world, and like the MKBHDs of the world, and and Lou, like this dude from Unbox Therapy. He's the guy that bent the iPhone uh, six plus for the first time, and like started that entire thing. I mean, a YouTuber from Canada, Bradley Feisman. He had a couple thousand subscribers, or not a couple thousand, a couple million subscribers, bent a phone, and it just like sent the world into this weird chaos. It's okay, insane. I was, I was thinking of somebody else. There's this dude from Canada by the name of Bradley Feisman, I think his name is. He, yeah. He just fri- flies around in helicopters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, you would dig it. Um, check it yeah, it's just crazy to me because it's like that is also playing a huge role in advertising in this day and age. and. People are just giving money to them in terms of like, yeah, talk about my product. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because these people have like such loyal and such devoted audiences that if you can get whoever the person is, whoever the YouTuber is, if they genuinely like your product, 
their audience is more often than not probably also going to like it, even though they may not have ever seen it or touched it or know about it or whatever. It's because this person says it's good. I really like this person. I'm going to, I'm going to stand behind it or this brand or this, whatever. I mean, that's a hundred percent. It brisk does that. We have a, a brisk has a partnership with optic gaming, the esports mm-hmm. group. And those guys have such an insane following. I mean, absolutely insane. The fans are crazy, like in a good way. I mean, they love these guys and, um, they do stuff for brisk and, and people love brisk and they've only ever heard of it because of optic and they, like they do so much other stuff, but they've only ever seen it and heard about it and anything through, you know, crim sixes, whatever optics, this like, it's amazing what, what these people can do. That's just crazy to me because it's like, it just seems counterintuitive to like the things that we went to school for. It com- seems completely against like everything that we were taught in terms of like developing concepts and content that have a strong idea and point of view of what we're trying to say. Yeah, it's- well, I think a lot. It just I think it depends on what you're doing. I mean, if you're making stuff, if you're if you really have a project, have something going on, all just because you may have to use optic or whatever. Like I'm working on a project right now for Brisk. I can't talk a lot about, but essentially the client gave us a huge giant list of deliverables, <laughs> and people were freaking out over it. And I'm like, man, this is not like this is great. The client just told us what they want us to make, so we don't have to like think about it. Not that we're going to make other stuff, but it was things like. You know, sort of a hero video spot, like a 15, 30, and 60 second spot, and a sort of PR thing, and this and that. And I'm like, this is great because we were going to come up with that stuff anyways. So now we just like, it's cool. Now like we, just we have, go do. yeah, we have some boxes to check. So now we can all we can do is spend our time really thinking about the idea and figuring out what's the story, what are we trying to say, what's our point of view, and like I thought it was amazing. That's that's cool. Um... No, that's that's awesome because it's like it's so many times it's like it seems like there's a huge back and forth in, between the client and the agency of like what well, what do you guys need what do you guys want well we don't know you, that's yeah. your job to tell us these things so strategy will spend months just trying to figure out like what buckets we need to hit in terms of like hitting an audience and then when it underperforms well it's yep. the agency's fault oh exactly and it's just I feel like a lot of the times the idea kind of has to tell you what to make. You know, like when I worked on like the the Star Wars mac and cheese stuff, we only set out to make a TV spot. That's really all we really cared about. But, you know, through the process, like we came up with other ideas and the print that I did came out of that. And then once we made the TV spot, we sort of realized – the set that we built and what we had. So then we made a website and like all this stuff came out of it, which was great. But, you know, so sometimes you can't decide, you know, deliverables and things in the beginning. But if the client's saying, hey, I want to do all these things, then that's great because then I can make a really cool idea and I can figure out how all of these little pieces work together and like what's that story. Being a Star Wars fan, I, I'm going out on a limb and saying that was probably your favorite project. Oh, hands down. Like it, <laughs> I was just guessing, amazing. but I was like, I, I had a feeling that being the Star Wars nerd that you are, you're like, yep. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. And the only reason I got that project was crazy. The only reason I got on it, I had asked to work on it and they basically kind of told me no, cause there was already a bunch of teams on it and it was cool and it wasn't in my group. So I got it. It was no big deal. I was a junior at the time. So no big, no hard feelings, but I was walking by the creative director's office one morning, just coming into work and he just yelled at me and told me to come in there and you know, friendly like, but going there and he's just like, Hey man, how's it going? We were just talking. And, and he, I have, tat, you know, I have the star Wars tattoos on my arm and he was like, do you like star Wars? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he was like, well, we've got some stuff going on. Maybe I can get you on it. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm thinking like all I'm going to get are banner ads or whatever. And I'm like, I don't care what it is. I I'll just take it and run anything. And then the next thing I know, we're on this massive, like 360 campaign brief with, a senior team, an ACD team, a creative director team, another creative director running the project, and the ECD. And it was just like this huge thing. And I'm like, fuck, now I have to perform because I have Star Wars tattoos. So everyone's going to be thinking, this kid's going to kill it. Like, it was right. I mean, it was the most fun I've ever had, but man, it was hard. Jeez. See, like, it's like projects like that where I'm like, I don't miss that at all. I'd rather be like <laughs> given footage and like said, cut this and find a way to make it work. And be yeah, stressing so about that stuff. <laughs> I'm the total opposite. Like I love these weird little problems because I've sort of, I think in the last year or so, I've sort of, and I, I, I don't know, I feel weird saying this, but I've sort of become the devil's advocate. And and I used to hate that shit. You'd be in a meeting and you like, everybody has this good idea. And then there's this one asshole who's always like, well, I want to play devil's advocate a minute and ask a question. And it's, you know, and you've been there. So you're trying, like, it seems like you're at a point where you're trying to poke holes in all the concepts to make them work. Exactly. And I've like, I've realized after time that like that guy is like the hero. And not that I'm trying to be that, but it's just like, I'm very quiet. I like to sit and think about things for a while and like let it marinate and then just ask like very good solid questions. Yeah. Just like what how do we make this better? Here's the things I see. And it's always worked. And I've just I don't know, I've loved that. And Star Wars was that same way because I my partner and I sort of became the experts. And so we were the guys that like everybody went to and they had a Star Wars question on this brief, and we just had to know. What's funny is because what's funny is like when I was when we were in Brand Center, it's like I fucking hated going to Fenske and showing them work. Same goes yeah. for Wayne and like everybody. It's like I fucking hated it because it's like I felt like I wasn't the best conceptually. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I could come up with some decent work, but I knew where my strengths were, and it was in when you, you threw me in front of Final Cut. Like you throw me in front of a computer and tell me to cut something. Okay. Yeah. That's where yeah. I rock. But right. I always found it super beneficial to like show them work, even if it was just a marker comp and just say like, what do you think? Where like, mm-hmm. please just kill it now so I can totally. move on because totally. there's nothing worse. Absolutely nothing worse to get that. Spend all this time making beautiful, um, beautiful piece of work that you're going to show a client and try and sell them on. If, and then the idea sucks. Like that sucks yeah. because it's like, not only that, it's like they're, they're sold on it. Mm-hmm. One, two, you go to production, you spend a ton of money and you think you have something there. Maybe three, you go to uh, editorial and you get all the way at the back end after spending like six months to a year on a campaign, maybe even longer and realizing it sucks. And then you have yeah. to go back to your client and say, Hey, 
We just spent a ton of money, and this is what we got. <laughs> They're not thrilled because they didn't. It didn't meet their expectations of what the ad should have been in terms of what they were promised, and now yep. they still have to ship it or can it. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, no, that's not fun. <laughs> I mean, that is not fun. A great example is the Pepsi ad with yep. Kylie Jenner. How the fuck oh, did God. that get approved? Man, it's because it's because the client made it and they self-approved it. And I think honestly that to me, like we were talking earlier about, or not, we weren't talking earlier. Like, uh, I think Allison was talking a little bit about smaller shops and like they can come in as a small shop and do the same or better work, um, cheaper and faster and this and that. And like, that stuff's great. But I think there's, it's becoming a problem. And like people, like I don't know, people in the agency world always talk about how this whole idea of AOR is dead and it's over and big agencies, this and that. And I just like, I don't know, I feel like those people are, are kind of full of shit because um, I don't think anyone knows. Nobody knows what's going on just because right now clients are starting to like break off and do things, do in-house stuff. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, and, and Pepsi's the perfect example. I'm sure they had a big grandiose idea and they built this agency and they made that thing and it looked great. You know what I mean? Like it all oh, the visuals were fantastic. They probably got one of the the best DPs in, in Hollywood to shoot it. I don't yeah, question I mean, that it, for a minute. They probably got a great line producer and they probably got a really good director. That's that can't, who will never show that work on their reel ever, <laughs> ever. They did, every, they did everything right except for the idea. And that's what's unfortunate. And I think that just goes to show that when you have things like AORs or agencies that are in charge of things, like <clears throat> the idea is king. And they make sure of that because every single piece of content that they create all sort of ramp back to whatever, you know, whatever the idea was or whatever the strategy is. Like everything has its checks and balances in place. And you have the client creating their own thing, and that can. You know, they, they're not thinking about that stuff. But what's funny about that, too, is it's like, I can say the same shit about working in Hollywood. Easily. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so easy to say that. Like, I'm just going to say Suicide Squad. That was an ex yeah. That was a, that looked and felt like an expensive student film. Yeah. And no disrespect to the filmmakers involved with that. They worked their asses off. And there oh, was a of lot course. of political drama and bullshit that they had to endure, endure. and I'm, mm -hmm. I gotta say right now, like, to, if anybody from Suicide Squad worked on that film, I, I know that they put their blood, sweat, and tears into it because that's what creatives do. But the problem lied. I don't know where it got fucked up. I've heard multiple stories. I mean, I heard you've you've heard the name Trailer Park, right? Yep. Rumor has it, um, if you Google it, Suicide Squad Trailer Park. Rumor has it. Three fourths through the edit, they fired their editors and gave it to Trailer Park to cut. Oh jeez. Yeah, that's how fucked up it got. But at the wow. same time, it could have been a shitty idea to begin with. We don't know yeah. how th we don't know what happened in the kitchen. That is creativity in a studio and production life. We don't know what happened somewhere along the lines. It got fucked up, and it goes back to the point of like, is the concept and the idea strong enough to endure all the bullshit that we put it through? Because it, yeah. it, it's like, it, there's so much bullshit that we pile onto these things that is not needed. 
I mean, stupid drama things and stupid political moves that feed our egos as creatives. And unfortunately, it seems like the ideas and the projects that we work on, the concepts have to endure that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They have to. And if they don't, I mean, sometimes just an idea is just not going to, it's just not going to happen, but you have to make it work and you have to make that fit and whatever your new thing you're creating or whatever you want to do has just has to fit somehow. And maybe sometimes it's a stretch, <laughs> you know, and sometimes it's, it fits right in, but you just have to make it work. And if it doesn't work, you got to make damn sure that it looks like it does. Absolutely. And I think it's a, I think that's a challenge for creatives now because it's just, I think it's just a shit ton of work these days. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not getting any easier. That's for sure. (laughs) The amount of noise. I mean, I mean, unfortunately you do something for Samsung, you're competing with a MKHD, right? I botched the name right now. No, MKBHD. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're competing with him now. Like if I think it's, Widen that has Samsung, mm-hmm. they're competing with him. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's tough. It's a big production or it's a big creative agency with all the resources in the world, with yep. all the political drama that it that comes with working at an agency. And I'm not trying to say that there's political drama at Widen. No, um, no way. I just know that the lengths it takes to bring work to life. You're competing against one dude. Sucks. Yeah. Yep. Well, one guy who's very good at what he does, who has almost five million, very dedicated. I'm not going to say followers, but uh, you know, viewers, viewers. You know, people that really look to him for his opinion. It's a brave new world out there. It is a very, very new world. It's tough, man. It's very tough. And and it's just it's one of those things like I'm a YouTube addict, so like I always go to it and and anytime I get a chance I always try to use those kind of people because I think one, they have just such good audiences. Two, I think the people you know, a lot of the guys like like Casey Neistat, for example, you know, he, he lets you into his life. Like you sort of get this feeling like you know him, even though we're only seeing like a tiny fraction of what he does during the day. But that's comfortable. And you see that and you're watching it every day and it's nice and you kind of keep up with it. And when he says something, it's just genuine. So I think if we can, as like advertisers and, and people making stuff, tap into that in a in an honest way, then it's great. If you can use them to help or to push this or push that, and then that's great. Like use those people. You just got to figure out how to do it. That's the tough part. Where do you see advertising and commercial production in any way, shape or form that could be stills, that could be motion, that could be something weird like gifts. Where is it headed? Where's, where's it going to go in the next five years? And Yeah, I mean, I'm just really interested, and I think a lot of people who pay attention to advertising are all wondering the same question, and there is no definitive answer on it, but it is interesting to talk to people at agencies and in production and outsiders to try and, like, look into this mythical crystal ball that we have. For sure. And it's hard. It's so hard. And especially with agencies, like big agencies moving slow. Then you have these awesome places like Allison's, you know, a little shop that is just like 
super scrappy and they can do things, you know, at the drop of a hat and for cheap, you know, like it's, it's hard. It's hard to compete with that, especially when you have something like hers that is so good. I mean, there's a million little places like that, but not all of them are good. Um, so that, you know, that's, it's hard to compete with, but I don't know. Like I feel like just advertising wise, like taking the agency crap out of it, the weirdest thing that I've sort of encountered honestly recently within the last year or so is this whole weird trend of vertical video Hmm. and vertical anything period. Like I've made, uh, tons of little social posts and I make them all vertical. And I, I, I started doing it at Crispin for, I was on, um, so I was on a project making, just making some social stuff, nothing crazy. It was just like everybody, has, you know, everybody has to do that. You got to keep the lights on kind of thing. And I decided, I was like, you know what, let's make these vertical. Cause that's like the that's native what, aspect ratio of Snapchat. Yeah, that's what screens are. And so I get to VML and like, not that everything's vertical there. I'm not trying to say they have it, but I've been doing a lot more of that stuff, paying a lot more attention to it because I started at VML right after they launched a major campaign for Brisk. So we've sort of been doing kind of all the fallout from that, tons of social, tons of stuff like that. And this idea of vertical video has just been weird to me because I remember, like I remember when the iPhone first came out, everything was vertical. People were taking pictures and portrait and videos and portrait. And it was just this like gross thing and it looked like shit. And there was this giant movement. It felt like at least on the internet, of like and you've probably seen those graphics of like an outline of a phone and the arrow to tell you to turn it landscape you know and and like i felt like everybody like not everybody but the most most people sort of got onto this idea of yeah i got to shoot stuff like normal you know which is landscape or 16 by 9 or whatever you want to call it but now things are starting to go vertical a little bit and like you have companies like apple coming out with deals like portrait mode for iPhone that's only works that's only vertical and um, you know like their uh, like their AR kit that they've been doing is, is there's a lot of stuff in there that's vertical so it's that's kind of been one of those weird things and I've I've noticed that square like one to one is kind of starting to go away too because it's why make it square when you can increase the height of it a little bit and it fits better it looks better you know it works better yeah. So Square's starting to go away. I think it's interesting, though, because it it depends on the platform. Like, on Facebook and Instagram, Square makes sense. It makes complete sense. But -hmm. at the same time, like Snapchat, it's like, yeah, vertical video makes sense. It depends on the deliverable and where it's going to live. Well, even Instagram. I mean, you know when they – because they just released the ability to do uh, landscape and vertical fairly recently. And – you don't see too many square. I mean, you see square stuff there, but I don't think there's that many people capturing stuff inside Instagram because it's default to square. A lot of people are doing it outside, touching it up, in, importing it in to share it, and so a lot of it's vertical or a lot of it's like I think it's either vertical or like very horizontal where they they add their own white to the top and bottom to kind of stretch mm-hmm. it a little bit more. Well, Instagram stories for sure. I think that's a great example. It's just like in- yeah, like I mean. I was, uh, I've done uh, vertical video for, uh, to promote this on Instagram stories. Like, yeah. I've done that before. 
yeah, it's crazy, right? It's just weird to, to think like that. It's cool. But then it's just like it, it makes you – that's what makes it harder is if you want to make things – like we were talking at the very beginning about you know, the TV and traditional media is like this set space. And then you have online. It is, is really, I think, vertical now. Like I think it's it's – safe to say that online is sort of transition to vertical media i think that i think what makes that hard especially thinking of it from a production position and i'm thinking of it through two different lenses right now is like one directing that stuff because mm-hmm. your framing changes completely in terms of yeah. how you frame a shot it's just a completely different framing but as an editor if i sh- if you shoot something as a nine by 16 you've just given me more options of how i can cut it because uh i have i can move that frame around yeah in terms of like i can reposition my shots and either premiere or avid it's like that is within the realm of possibility because we're only using a portion of that frame it depends on how it's how it's uh um uh photographed but it's uh Mm-hmm. We have options now, which it's sound. I mean, I'd have to experiment, but yeah, definitely. But then, like thinking about five years or ten years later, uh, I mean, five years. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I I thought about this a little bit earlier, and I kept it. I kept my thoughts were pretty simple. Like, I feel like just strictly thinking online. Because, I mean, traditional media is always going to be there. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I mean, even though cord cutting is getting big, I, I just don't think traditional media is ever going to die. And that's great because I love that stuff. But online, I still, like I told you earlier, feels like the Wild West a little bit. And I think I think in the next five years it's got to be simplified because there's – and not the, the amount of apps. Like it's great. All the innovation and all the stuff that's happening I think is amazing. I think what's tough now is that there's so many brands and they want to put something on everything and i've noticed even at vml a lot of the stuff we do certain clients or certain media buys we will put the exact same thing on facebook and instagram and then whatever sort of starts to perform better they'll shift the the dollars to that platform and i feel like it's going to get to the point where you kind of have to like take a stand like is like i'll use a terrible example old spice like are they just going to say you know what we're just going to go Instagram only or we're going to be Facebook only. Like I feel like that kind of needs to happen and I think it depends on what brand. Um, but I feel like I would, I would love for that to happen in five years is to sort of simplify that way. You know, it's only one thing you can really concentrate on it and make good content because I think the tough part is I don't think at least not that I know of and I'm sure somebody's doing it, but I don't feel like anyone's really doing incredible work on every single platform and i think something is always going to fall short i think you're right because it's like even for my own personal brand it's like i have my facebook i have my twitter and i have my instagram and vimeo and youtube it's like but at same time it's like i know that from me personally there's only certain platforms i actually use on a very regular basis that's my i love instagram but it's like i never really use my facebook in many ways Mm -hmm. i should delete that page so i think you are correct in the sense that like there are certain platforms that perform better, but it's that is a conversation for a social media person, really. I mean, we're just yeah. creatives who think we have an idea of how social media works. We're not, I mean, we are in the <laughs> trenches every day developing content for it, but yeah. I think it's social media um, planners and um, 
community managers especially have a pretty good understanding of where this stuff was headed. Oh, for sure. And I think it all depends on just the people. I mean, of course, like, you know, your target is really going to determine it. Like when I worked on like Aspen Dental, you know, they did a lot of stuff on Facebook because they're, they were going after like older people and different kind of people. And those guys were just, they were just on Facebook, you know, and, and some other brands are just, the people are on Instagram. I mean, Twitter's tough now because I think Twitter's dying. I mean, I, I, not that I just me, like I think it's dying and I just don't think it's, they've figured out how to bring it back. But there's people that are just diehards on Twitter. You know, they're still diehards on Twitter. And it's a great platform, but you, you just, I don't know, you just have to figure out who you want to talk to and where they're at because they're not on everything. And if they are, there's probably one thing they're using more often. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, I mean, I think I think we're seeing that, especially based off of uh, age brackets. I think we are definitely seeing that. Oh, yeah. And then 10 years down the road, that's a, man, that's tough. VR but tried probably, to... but who knows, really? Oh, of course. I mean, I think, I feel like augmented reality, like I have a few thoughts on 10 years. I think, like you just saying that, I think augmented reality is starting to come back a little bit because Apple's putting AR kit into iOS 11, Snapchat right now, or not Snapchat, uh, Shazam is doing some amazing stuff with AR. Really? Uh, I haven't been paying oh, yeah. attention to them. I just noticed it recently because we're working on some stuff and, and they came to the agency and gave a little talk and they talked to us about this thing called Snapchat Codes. Hmm. And it's been in beta recently. Like it's been in beta for brands. I think it's been out for a little bit, but they're like literally like their own little proprietary QR codes. And, and instead of just scanning music, you can use your camera and once it sees one of these codes, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can do little AR stuff where you have like a little talking person standing on your desk. Or another example we saw was you can enter into an entirely model like world, modeled world. And it was someone who basically did like a Google Maps of their office where you can walk around the office. You can like put content on the wall inside of TVs and play videos inside of this thing. That's crazy. It's nuts. So that's cool. Um, Apple's AR kit is insane if you haven't seen any of that stuff. Um, and then I just like thinking about agency-wise, right now there's this weird thing of the kind of the dying AOR model. You know, it's going away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been talking about this for years, and it's still Oh, here. yeah. It's still here. I mean, it's going away, and I think it'll probably get worse, to be perfectly honest. I'm sure it'll it'll – There'll be less and less and less AORs, but I think what is going to happen is over time, I think people are going to realize the more hands you have on all these kinds of work and all these projects and all this stuff, the less the message gets out. There's going to get more diluted because if you're, you know, if you're in charge of, you know, whatever it is traditional, their TV, whatever, you're going to come up and you're the main lead agency. You're going to come up with ideas and concepts and stuff. And all that stuff has to get fed out to the digital and the social and everything. And the more people you have, the less that message gets carried. Well, I think that's going to be, I think with that said, I think it's going to be the responsibility of the brand managers and the internal creative directors at, at clients and brands is going to have to be it's going to be a bigger deal. The responsibility of CMOs is 
gonna have to be a lot more focused. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, it's gonna sure. because it's gonna require it because they can't. If if AORs do die, like people have been projecting for a long time, they'll no longer have the ability to blame the agency for a bad campaign. It's exactly. on them completely. They yep, will have 100%. to own it 100%. Because, mm-hmm. and it'll be internal, uh, it'll be the CMO, uh, CBMs, and uh, internal CDs, like brands that are going to have to take responsibility for their successes and failures. <clears throat> absolutely. So that's why, I don't know, I feel like in 10 years we could absolutely see the return of this AOR thing if it really goes away not completely, but like really, really goes away. I think it. I think it could be coming back. Like there, there's a chance it could come back because of that, because of the fragmentation and uh, the loss of like the message. For sure, and uh, I've given everything we've talked about in the current state of advertising. I guess like what I'm curious about is for those that are listening and want to get into advertising, say they're an art director, a writer, a photographer, a filmmaker, an illustrator. It doesn't have to be the traditional agency creative roles. It could be yeah. other creative roles because we are seeing an emergence of opportunities for all creatives. Um, mm-hmm. Rising tides floats all boats, and we're starting. We're definitely seeing that in the advertising space. What for advice sure. would you have for those that are trying to break into the business? Um, it's very difficult, and I think people don't, at the offset, I don't think they understand how hard one it is to get into this industry, and two, once you're in, how hard it is to just like do the work. I mean, and then we're talking to like it can be very difficult, you know. But like at the grand scheme of things, it's an amazing job. But I think people just need to realize like just because you may struck out or you didn't get an email back from a recruiter or someone didn't return your phone call about this or that. Like, that's just the way it is, man. Everyone's busy. Everybody's working. Um, and it's hard and you just got to keep going and keep grinding and keep hustling and just keep going if you really want to do it. And I think the other thing is, um, you need to know why you want to do it. It it can't just be, Oh, I don't know. I just want to do that. It seems like really cool. Or, you know, I don't know. I know Ryan and he wears shorts every day and, and it, like, I want to do that. I don't want to wear this or that. You know, I, like you have to know why you want to do it. And it can't just be, it seems cool. It looks cool. I'm tired of wearing this or that. Like you got to do it for more reasons than that. Cause if you don't, this, this industry will eat you alive. I've seen it happen. Like, oh yeah. We if, all have. Yeah. If you want to wear shorts every day, move to LA and become a grip like seriously like if that that is another option to wear shorts every day yeah exactly <laughs> or you can be a grip electrician you can work as a PA you can wear shorts every day yep there's other jobs that allow you to do that and be in a be a creative I I absolutely agree with the sentiment that you better know why you're getting into this business because mm-hmm. long hours yeah are it's it's expected and required at times Oh yeah, it's tough, but it's a lot of fun. So, you know, if, if that's something you really want to do or really want to try, do it. Because if you don't like it, you can always do something else. For sure. Um, any other major final thoughts, or do you think we covered it all? No, I mean, I don't know. I think like I always try and tell everybody, like 
especially younger people, and not like I'm some old vet or anything like that, but I just think that the more people spread the message of being nice, being humble, saying please, saying thank you, being at, showing up to meetings on time, just like being a good person just goes so far, so, so far. So I think like with anything anybody does, you should always be nice. You should always be grateful and thankful that this is what you get to do every day. And you don't need to make other people miserable because you're miserable or, or whatever it is or the client's bad. It's just like a smile and a thank you or a whatever it may be goes a long way. And, you know, this is, this is one of those careers that it's just, it's not like, it's not a sprint, you know, you have to, it's a marathon. You have to like take your time because it's too easy to, it's too easy to want to like go to the places that have the big names and the best clients and are doing the best work. You know, you want to go to the Widens and the Drogas and, you know, places like that. And who doesn't want to go there? But, you know, you can make good work anywhere. So like, open your eyes and just look and see and kind of trust your gut. I feel like it's, it's good, a good thing for people to do. In other words, be humble and work hard. Exactly. Yeah. Just be a good person. That's all that matters. Like the more of that that happens and then everything will get better. Well, there you have it. That's my conversation with Ryan Dowling of VML. Big thanks to Ryan for coming on the show. I really appreciate your thoughts and opinions. And I hope that we get to connect again really, really soon. If you are finding runner time to be a value in your own creative development, in your own creative journey, I would really love it if you would leave a rating and review on iTunes. This would make it more visible so that other people can find it and use it as a resource on their own creative journeys. If you would like to leave a comment for me, you can find me all over the internet. I will find them and I will respond. But that's all we got for this episode of Render Time. But as always, create, share, and sustain the life that you want. Get out there and make some awesome work. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks.